Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez. I'll walk with you a while and take you to the one you seek. I'm half of the Martinez twins, Will and Joseph, and you have unfortunately found the first episode of the Dead Time Stories podcast. Tonight's production stars Todd Lights, Ari Eastman, Nicole Viella, Mitchell Muniz, Louise Rosette, Benjamin Apple, and myself. Thank you for your time, and please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. At the end of that narrow hall, you'll find a long stairwell. Follow it down till you reach the basement door. Behind it, your host awaits your visit. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... unpredictable. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. I wasn't talking to you. There was something behind you. Come, sit, get cozy. I've invited some dear friends over to entertain you. Our first guest is William, a family man whose daughter won't let him sleep. His is a true story he calls The Nighttime Visit. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. My daughter, Grace, has always had trouble sleeping. Every night, my wife and I knew eventually Grace would come to our room and ask to sleep in bed. Dad? Late one night, I could hear my daughter talking to someone in her room. (laughs) But when I opened the door, I found her alone in bed. Before I left the room, I asked, who were you talking to? She replied, a little girl. She's dead, but she's not the scary one. I'm not going to lie, hearing her say she's not the scary one made the hairs on my neck stand up. I shrugged it off and chalked it up to a child's wild imagination. I kissed Grace goodnight and shut her light out, then went to work in my office. My wife had mentioned for weeks that she felt a bad energy in our house. Was our daughter having nighttime talks with this bad energy? I wish I'd had time to ask Grace more questions about her dead friend or the scary one, but we'd just moved into a new home and I was working freelance late at night to cover all the new expenses. Talking about ghostly friends was actually costing me money, and to add even more stress, I had to be up early the next day to present at an important all-hands meeting. As I worked into the small hours of the night, I couldn't help but let Grace's words creep into my thoughts. The scary one. Was she right behind me? 
I was tired, distracted, and stressed. I needed sleep. I went into my bedroom where my wife was fast asleep, and when my head hit the pillow, I was out like a light. Then a small click woke me up. I knew this click. It's the click of the latch in my bedroom door opening. I watched the door slowly, quietly open. I knew it was Grace. She was probably scared and wanted to sleep in bed with us. Sure enough, as the door swung open completely, I saw the silhouette of Grace in the doorframe. She waited there a moment, and all of a sudden crawled across the floor on all fours like a cat, then disappeared behind the foot of our bed. Grace, I whispered, but she didn't respond. I was not in the mood for games. I shot to my feet and went to pick her up and then take her back to her room, but Grace was gone. I checked under the bed, nothing. Half asleep, I figured I'd dreamt it all, but a dream doesn't explain why my once closed bedroom door was now wide open. I got back into bed and closed my eyes, when a moment later, I felt a weight at the foot of my bed. Something was crawling up towards me. I opened my eyes and came face to face with a little girl I've never seen before laying across my chest. She opened her mouth and simply said, Daddy, I'm the scary one. Da-da, William. You know, I wonder if he made it to his big presentation. He should have listened to his instincts. We all should. They're there to protect us, even if we don't know what they're protecting us from. Next, I'll introduce you to Jane. Her true tale is all about the feeling of unseen danger. Sweet and lovely Jane felt the icy stab of fear whenever she walked upstairs in her home. Jane, please tell us about the window. I've always been very close with my family. As kids, we ate every meal around the dinner table together. And when there were arguments between me and my siblings, my father always said, even if you're yelling, at least you're still communicating. Communication was important in my house. We never kept secrets. When I was 13, we moved into a new house. It was bigger than our last and even had an upstairs. It was perfect for our family of six. I started getting the feeling early, within the first week of moving in. Whenever I walked the stairs, I would get a chill. It would happen day or night, but it was stronger after the sun went down. I honestly thought it was the air conditioning until my dad pointed out there were no vents in the stairwell. He suggested it was the window at the top of the stairs. Maybe a draft was coming through an old seal. All I could think was, this is a brand new house. As the season moved toward fall, I was convinced it was just a drafty window and never thought of it again. Until one night, I was coming down the stairs, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone watching me in the window. I turned on the light, but whomever was there vanished. I mustered up the courage to look through the window, but all I found was the 15-foot drop to the ground below. I convinced myself I was just seeing things and never told a soul about what I saw. Night after night for months, I would pass the window and see something watching me in the dark. 
the icy breath of fear would blow down my neck and hurry me down the stairs. Passing the window changed my mood. I was tense, irritable, and terrified. Even my friends and family noticed my personality change, but I never said a word, choosing to suffer in silence. Then one day, out of the blue, I came home from school and the window was covered. <gasps> my parents had installed French blinds in front of that horrible window. I was thrilled. Just that simple change had lifted a gigantic weight off my shoulders. It had confirmed my hope all along. The thing in the window was just in my head. Things were back to normal. The next evening, my older brother stopped me on the stairs. He asked casually, what's got you in such a great mood all of a sudden? I lied and said, no reason, I'm just happy. His face changed. He became very angry. He demanded an answer, but I refused to tell. He stared at me and his angry face became fearful. Then he said, because it was looking at you too, wasn't it? Jane, Jane, Jane. She begs the question. What's worse, to slowly go insane or find out what you're seeing is real? I can tell you from experience, they're both incredibly exciting. But enough about me. On to our next guest, Ica Crombie. Her sticky tale is a scrap of folklore told straight from the witch's mouth and aptly named Tarred and Taken. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. My name is Ica Crombie. The night I was killed, they believed me to be in my 70s. I was closer to 200 years old. I had tricked the Orr family into believing I was the long-lost sister of the wife and mother, Bethany. Justin, her husband, caught me removing her head one night, and he and his posse chased me down with dogs. I practiced my dark magic in the depths of a nearby coal mine. 
I knew if I could make it there, I would be safe. But the town beat me to it and boarded the mine up. I had to find another way in or be tortured to death. I found a hole on the top of the mine, but it was too small. I became stuck halfway in. That's when the hounds caught me. I fought them off and used a stone to break my shoulder so I could fit into the tiny hole and escape into the mine. I thought I was safe, but alas, the men had blocked this entrance too. I was trapped. I heard a squeaky wheel and wondered what the men had planned on the surface. The posse poured gallons of piping hot tar into my hiding place. As the tar rained on me, my flesh melted off my bones like candle wax. My body would not survive the night, but with help from the devil, my soul would. I removed the black walnut hiding in the mouth of my sister's head and ate it. Then I died a ghastly death. Once the hole was filled to the top with hardening tar, the men left, believing that was the end of Icacrombie. If you can find it, please knock on the tree and say Icacrombie three times. I'll be able to leave my tarred prison, find where you sleep, and take your soul to live with me in my coal mine. what I know of the Bat King. The land was once warm and inviting. Life teemed at the edge of the river's shore, and the indigenous people prospered in perfect harmony with the land around them. But nothing lasts forever, and one early morning men came and butchered the people there. Their screams would paint the canyon and their blood would fill the river. 
the once bright and warm energy of the land became heavy, dark, and rotten. The new settlers bent the land to their will, tearing out trees, blasting the mountains, and rerouting the rivers, making unintended swamps. As civil war broke out among the land's new owners, they erected a fort above the swamp that quickly became a horrible and disgusting prison. The prison channeled the darkness of the land into one place, and they called it the House on Sticks. While brother killed brother, a small group of surviving warriors from the indigenous tribe saw their chance to take revenge on the men who murdered their families. The warriors were led by their shaman, a skilled killer who worshipped a bat god. He made his men sacrifice every prisoner to the one he prayed to. He told them it was the only way to bring peace back to the land. But it was a lie. From all the blood and all the sacrifice, the Bat God rose from the depths of the underworld to possess his vessel, the Bat King. The warriors knew the danger of this possession and killed the Bat King, vanquishing the god back to hell. The prison was rebuilt after the war and still exists as a house today. Legend has it, if you visit the house long enough, the Bat King will take over your mind and force you to resurrect him. Gail has me thinking. Am I changing your mood? Feeling any more frightened? Well, if bats aren't your thing, then maybe it's spiders. Our next guest is here to tell you about the tangled web he wove and the demon who preyed on him once he was caught. Meet Nick with Dance of the Spider Woman. The only way I can leave this house is to kill. Hi, my name's Nick. Let me explain. I was out for a walk when my dog Max got away from me. I finally found him sniffing deep inside some bushes behind a house I've never been to. I reached into the plant to grab Max's leash and put my hand straight into a black widow's web. Its bite hurt like hell. A light turned on in the house. And I saw her. The woman in the window. She was beautiful. And the moment I laid eyes on her, all my pain vanished. We locked eyes for a second. And then she turned out the light. I felt like a total creep watching this woman from the bushes. So I got out of there. And me and Max headed home. I never told my wife about the bite. And especially about the woman. But she knew something was up. I told her it was just work stressing me out. Really? The thing keeping me up at night was the thought of that beautiful woman in the window. 
I had to see her again. Me and Max went back and got a little closer this time, to the edge of the gate. Her face lit up with excitement when we started to play a little game. She would move her arms in a strange dance and I would copy her. It was so fun. She smiled and turned out the light. I came home in the middle of the night and my wife caught me sneaking in. She thought I was having another affair. Things got ugly and she left. Honestly, I didn't care. I had the woman in the window and she was literally all I could think about. The very next night I returned to her home. This time I went right through her gate and we played our little game again. I mirrored her every move and she loved our harmless flirting. <laughs> but Max didn't. He bit me in the middle of the dance. I didn't know why Max bit me at the time. All I knew was that he was keeping me from seeing her and I could not have that. I did what I had to do to make sure Max never interrupted us again. Now, I know Max was trying to save me from her trap. I returned to her home one last time. I even brought Max's leash to show her what I had done to prove how much I loved her. Her light was on. She was waiting for me. We did our silly little dance again when her smile faded. That's when I realized I wasn't copying her dance. She was making me dance, controlling my movements like a puppet. She made me put Max's leash around my neck. Then she suddenly appeared behind me and she strangled me. When I woke up, I was in here. I had taken her place. I don't blame her for what she did. She's not the bad guy. The spider who bit us is. It was a demon. I have no idea how long the woman in the window had to wait for me to come and take her place. But I've been waiting for a month now. Would you come find me? I have a dance I'd like to show you. Please? Had your fill of myths and legends, cadavers? Then I invite you to take a seat at the seance table. Alexandra will arrive shortly to share with you her true stories of being born a medium. She calls this one haunted me. There was never a time in my life when I couldn't sense or see paranormal activity. My earliest memory is of a ghost in my closet. As a teen, my friends and I were tormented by a poltergeist. And as an adult, I battled with a demon in my own home. My name is Alexandra, and these are my true stories of being born a medium. My most vivid memory as a child is one I will never forget. I had this strange habit of waking up in the middle of the night. 
Not opening my eyes briefly and falling back asleep, but going from a deep sleep to bolt upright and wide awake. One night I woke up, like I did most nights, but this night was different. My room felt cold and darker than usual. That's when I noticed my closet door, which I always made sure was closed before bed, was wide open. I was frozen with fear. My instincts told me something was at the back of my closet watching me. Then she showed herself. She was about 15 and she was wearing dirty, tattered underwear. She hung from a noose around her neck. A spike of fear chilled me to my core. I couldn't move. I just watched her swing there in the closet. While I was too scared to move, I also knew that staying there was not an option. I had to find the courage to run. Running out of my room meant having to get closer to the closet. So I drew every bit of courage I could find and I ran through my bedroom door. I sprinted into the bathroom and spent the night there with the lights on until the sun came up. A few years later, my family moved into a new house. Then things got really scary. By the time I was 15, I was so accustomed to the strange things I was seeing and hearing that they didn't frighten me anymore. I felt confident enough to tell my friends about it, and they wanted to help. Maybe there was a way to make this all stop. My parents thought everyone was there for a sleepover, but we really had gathered to confront the spirits that had haunted me. Using Katie's Ouija board, we were going to make it all stop. We began and almost immediately made contact with the spirit. His name was Ivan the Terrible. Had I paid more attention in history class, I would have known that Ivan the Terrible was a Russian czar from the 1500s who was a rage-filled man prone to mental instability. During one of his fits, he had murdered his son and unborn grandson. Needless to say, our peaceful seance took a turn. The room erupted. Objects began to shake. The candles spewed wax and the storm outside became monstrous. We ran into the living room completely freaked out and sat there until things seemed to die down. Then we went back into the room to inspect the damage. The room was a mess. We cleaned up the candle wax and picked up everything that had fallen, but we couldn't wash off the feeling that we had made things worse. We decided it was best to just go to sleep and never talk about what happened again. I closed my eyes, thinking it was all over, but it wasn't. I woke up to my bed rocking, as if it were a ship at sea. I assumed it was my friends playing a prank, then I saw them asleep on the floor. I didn't want to scare them anymore, so I waited for it to stop. That's when I heard the moaning. It was coming from the balcony right outside my room. The louder the moaning got, the more intense the storm became. I did my best to stay calm and make it through the night. To this day, I can still hear that terrible howling when I close my eyes. <laughs> the next morning, while we said our goodbyes, I asked my friends how they slept. 
They said horribly. The moaning had kept them up all night. They never slept over again. If I was once an abandoned lighthouse in the fog, using the Ouija board was like setting the lighthouse on fire. All the spirits from miles around, good or bad, knew exactly where to find me. That became my biggest fear, that even when we left this house, whatever evil was here would always know how to find me. 17 years later, my worst nightmare came true. I had married and started a family of my own. We moved to a new house in a nice neighborhood. Everything was going great. But there was always a tiny part of me that knew something wasn't right. The energy in the house was bad. I was upstairs cleaning one day when I heard a cabinet slam downstairs. I assumed it was my preteen daughter. Then I remembered she was gone at school. Then came more and more bangs. Every cabinet downstairs was opening and slamming shut. But I was not the scared little girl I once was. I had spent years developing ways to protect myself and the people I loved. I was confident that I could get rid of whatever darkness was stalking my family. I walked to the edge of the stairs, ready to confront whatever entity was causing the ruckus when I felt an icy, cold hand grip my shoulder and yank me back. It was protecting me from whatever was down there. It was telling me, you are not ready for this. I went to work using everything I had learned over the years. I had burned sage in every corner of my home, made salt lines around my property, and used a technique sensitives call bubbling up. Bubbling up is when you use meditation to create a force field of energy that keeps the dark energy out of your space. It's like building an invisible wall around you that keeps the good in and the bad out. I spent my days confident that my family and I were protected from ghosts that meant us harm. What I didn't know is that ghosts were not the problem. What haunted us was something I had never encountered. A demon. One day when I was watching TV alone, I saw the demon on my kitchen counter. It was trying to make itself appear human so it could pretend to be a ghost and trick me into letting it stay. But I had somehow caught it during its metamorphosis. Its skin looked like wood grain. It grew fake woman's hair and it wore a long dress. As I stared directly at it, the demon realized I could see it. It bared its long, sharp fangs at me. I stayed calm and pretended to look through it, as if I hadn't seen a demon on my counter. Then I turned back and watched TV, giving it time to scurry out of sight. The demon began showing itself as a little girl, not just to me, but to my daughter and husband. I didn't want to frighten them, so I played the demon's game and told my family it was just the spirit of a lost little girl. I also didn't tell them that I had a plan to get rid of it forever. One night, while my family was away, I engaged the demonic little girl. She spoke to me in a tiny female voice, but I knew it was a lie. <laughs> the demon couldn't keep up the disguise for long. We spoke for hours, until it made a mistake. It called me Mommy in a gravely dark voice. We both knew the charade was over. In that instant, the demon attacked me. Yeah! 
She pounced on me and wrestled me to the ground. I did the only thing I could think of. I bubbled up. I pulled in all of the light energy from the room and pushed it deep down until I was like a soda can ready to burst. I let the demon have all my light in one concentrated blast. The beam ripped the demon to shreds, and I never saw it again. One night, I woke up to find a kind old ghost watching me. I turned over and went back to sleep. Then, it struck me. Something wasn't quite right about the smirk on his face. When I sat up to get a better look at him, he was gone. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Alexandra, you always have the most fun friends. You'll have to tell me later if that sweet old ghost turned out to be the demon or not. Speaking of fighting, Jean here has a delicious story about fighting a beast with devastating fang jaws and twice the strength of a man to boot. This one is for anyone who's thinking about bringing an exotic animal into their home. Go ahead, Jean. Tell us your tale. Tell us Wildland. When I was 18, me, my dad, uncle, and cousin went on a hike to honor my mom's passing. She died in an accident six months before, and we all felt it was time to spread her ashes at the lookout of her favorite mountain. My dad brought the urn, and I brought the only thing I could think of, her chainsaw. They all teased me because it was so heavy and awkward, but I figured we could use it to cut firewood. It was a two-day hike, and we might need it. I'll explain why my mom had a chainsaw. My mom died doing what she loved, saving the forest. She was a wild land firefighter and her job was to cut down trees. The two of us were out on a ridge clearing brush when she cut into a tree she didn't know was rotten and it fell wrong. She died pushing me out of the way. Her saw was the only thing I could save that day. My family and I made camp after the first day of the long, exhausting hike, but I couldn't sleep. I was filled with anger and sadness, so I hiked into the woods to be alone with my thoughts. 
I suddenly had the sinking feeling something was following me. I felt like an idiot wandering so far away from everyone and headed back to camp. But I was lost. I felt the danger grow around me and I began to panic. I called for my family, but no one answered back. There was movement in the trees above me. Something fast and big was up there. Suddenly, a giant shadow leaped from the leaves and knocked me down. I kicked and punched, and whatever it was took off, but not without taking a piece of me with it. When my family finally found me, I showed them my leg. You could see the muscle and fat. It was bad. They asked what bit me, but all I could tell them was it was big and strong and covered in fur. My uncle figured it was a bear. Well, there was no way we could get back to the trailhead at night. Not in my condition. So we opted for a ranch that was labeled on our map. We had no cell reception in the mountains and figured they would have a landline so we could call 911. We reached the ranch and my dad told me to leave the chainsaw outside so it wouldn't scare the homeowners. The ranch was a big two-story house with a truck parked out front, but it was trashed. It had been looted and vandalized and we couldn't find anyone inside. Well, anyone human. We discovered what had attacked me. And it wasn't a bear. It was a pissed-off chimpanzee, and we had just walked right into its home. Later, authorities would tell us the chimp had eaten a ton of its owner's antipsychotic medication. I knew how strong and savage this animal was, and I wanted to be no part of those draws. For God's sake, it still had my blood smeared over its mouth. All of a sudden, it charged me, and this time it was trying to kill me. Luckily, my dad and uncle were there to pull it off me, and my cousin bashed it with a fire poker till it stopped moving. When my cousin dropped the poker, we realized that he had been badly hurt in the fight. The chimp had bitten through his hand, and what was left of his fingers were barely hanging on. My dad and uncle searched for a phone, but the psychotic chimp had smashed it. Uncle Al decided he would run to a neighbor's house and try a phone there. That was the last time I saw him. Animal Control told us later that chimps are insanely territorial, and running from them can induce a chase response. Given the fact that my uncle was running on their territory, he never stood a chance. But wait, we killed the chimp, right? Yeah, the baby of the group. Turns out the homeowner had four chimpanzees locked in a cage further down on the property. Three adult males and one giant alpha. We had no idea, but the little chimp we killed had unlocked the cages and the adults were roaming the property. My Uncle Al ran right into them. The medic said it was pretty bad. They didn't leave much. Meanwhile, I was creeped out by the dead chimpanzee, so I hid the body in one of the bedrooms. My cousin was resting on the couch and my dad was searching the house for anything to clean my cousin's wound with. That's when he found the homeowner, Catherine, unconscious on the floor. We were able to wake her, and she told us we could have the key to her truck if we didn't tell the cops about any of this. We lied and said sure. She went out to her key rack, but the key was missing. She put two and two together and figured the baby chimp had taken the keys to let his friends out. 
Catherine told us the only option was for her to call the chimps in for dinner so she could get the keys from them. That meant we had to hide. We all hid around the house, me and my dad in the bathroom and my cousin in the bedroom. The giants came home. We could hear their grunts and heavy bodies stomp around the house. Catherine asked for the keys and they took her upstairs to the bedroom where my cousin was hiding. The four chimps and Catherine went into the room and found the body of the baby chimp we killed. The chimps went crazy. It sounded like a tornado. I heard my cousin scream in fright, then scream in pain. The chimps got him too. They were so distraught they even attacked their own owner. Her last words were to run. So we ran. We almost made it to the front door, but the chimps were right on top of us. We ducked into a room and blocked the door. My dad came up with a plan. He was going to distract them, and I would try to find the keys in the bedroom. My dad squeezed through the window, and I hid in the room. When the chimps opened the door, they saw my dad running and went for him. I was so scared to see them go after him, but I needed to focus on finding those keys. I went into the bedroom and saw blood and body parts everywhere. It was surreal, which was good. I kept telling myself none of this was real, and all I had to do was find the keys and I would wake up. But I didn't find them. Instead, I heard a truck start, and my dad yelling for me. I looked out the window and he was driving the truck parked out front. I ran out as fast as I could and jumped in the bed of the truck. My dad hit the gas, but it was too late. The poor chimps jumped on the truck. The alpha pulled him out of the driver's seat and dragged him up a tree. The other three decided to taunt me. They bluffed charge and laughed at me as I crouched scared. Then their mood shifted. I could tell by the look in their eyes that they were done playing games. The next charge, they were going to kill me. With only a second to live, I looked over my shoulder and I saw it. My mom's chainsaw. Sitting there like she knew I needed it. I ripped the cord and let the engine roar. The chimp shrunk back. They were scared of me. They ran up the tree to join the Alpha for protection. I heard my dad screaming and I knew what I had to do. I had to challenge the Alpha. I had to win. I climbed the tree and saw my dad was still alive. I revved the saw and locked eyes with the big guy. He knew I was challenging him. He charged at me like a roaring freight train, but I didn't back down. I got angry and screamed as I plowed toward the raging 200-pound ape. He swung his powerful fist at me, but my saw connected first. He whimpered in pain and fell. The big guy picked himself up and limped back with the other three chimpanzees and cowered. They were submitting. I was the new alpha. My mom was there with us that night, and this time she saved me and my dad. I think we can all learn a little from Gene. When in doubt, use a chainsaw. 
Well, I'm sad to say it, my little cadavers, but the sun is rising, and so my humble soiree must come to an end. I hope you were entertained by my guests. They can be a little cranky after waking up from such a long sleep, but beggars can't be choosers down here. Oh, my apologies. Didn't you realize my companions were of the dearly departed kind? They're the only friends a guy can make here in the catacombs. At any rate, please stop by again soon. We have many more tales to tell. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. You've survived. Let's start walking before that changes. The seven tales you've just heard were written by the Martinez twins, made up of myself, Joseph, and my brother, Will. We have all kinds of frightening tales to share. So if you enjoyed these stories, you might like our award-winning short horror films on YouTube. Simply search Martinez Twins Horror, and you'll find our new VR film, Mr. Holiday is Here, as well as our titles, Knock and I See You. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell. <laughs>